Hi everyone, welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, today's episode is hosted by Tiffany Tivasuradesh, anthropologist and consultant at Ogilvy Consulting in Hong Kong. Tiffany is interviewing Dr. Nicolas Teo and Oshin Xiaobat. We are very excited to have Tiffany hosting this episode and sharing her experience of conducting ethnography outside of academia in the Asian context, together with Nicolas and Oshin. As a colonial discipline in its origins, anthropology inevitably carries the Western gaze, something of which to be cautious in the day-to-day research. Is there a need for a framework, methods and a way of thinking designed for anthropologists from Asia in Asia? Tiffany Oshin and Nicolas share insights of how to be an applied anthropologist at home and reflect on the hopes and ambitions for design anthropology within Asia. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, hello. This is Tiffany. I am an anthropologist who is based in Asia, uh, specifically in Hong Kong. I currently work at a large multinational advertising and marketing agency where I apply my skill set as an anthropologist, specifically the research methods and also the way of thinking deep about different people's behaviors and their cultures in order to gather insights to inform marketing, branding, and customer experience strategy in my day-to-day work. So I'm really pleased to be here on The Human Show today, where I will be talking a little bit about my experiences in terms of conducting uh, ethnography and also being an anthropologist outside of academia um, working in Asia. Uh, However, I'm not here by myself today. I'm actually joined by two of my very good contacts from different parts of Asia that I've met, and they also have um, experience in studying uh, anthropology or at least applying the anthropological mindset and also ethnographic research methods in their day-to-day work. I have uh, Dr. Nicholas Teo with me and also Ocean Xiaobat. Uh, I'd like to um, welcome them to first introduce a little bit about themselves, and then we'll go into a few questions where we're going to have quite a um, free flow panel talking about different questions regarding what is anthropology, how is anthropology seen and practiced in Asia, and kind of our hopes and ambitions for um, design anthropology um, within Asia. So I'll let you both introduce yourselves first. So maybe Nicholas can go first. All right. Hi, guys. Um, So yeah, I'm Nicholas, and I'm currently an assistant professor at a local university called Singapore Institute of Technology. Uh, And my main portfolio that I do is to work with industry partners uh, to help them solve different problems from a design perspective. Uh, and the other thing that I do also do is mainly to teach students who are both designers and non-designers about design, uh, as well as trying to implement anthropological methods and you know frameworks and ethnographic tools as well into the design teaching uh, uh, pedagogy as well. So yeah, that's me. Uh, yourself, Ocean? Uh, yeah, hi. Thank you so much, Tiffany and Nicholas. I'm, I'm Ocean. 
like Tiffany said, uh, I'm an independent researcher. I'm from New Delhi in India and uh, have a background in sociology and social anthropology, as well as design research, which is the space that I primarily worked in after completing my master's. Um, I, I'm primarily interested in working within the spaces of like reproductive technologies, sexual and reproductive health, um, biotechnologies, uh, and sort of the inter intersection between the social sciences and design. Um, I'm currently, though, I'm based in Eindhoven in the Netherlands, where I'm uh, enrolled in a master's program at the Critical Inquiry Lab at Design Academy Eindhoven. Um, thank you so much. Let's let's start our conversation. <laughs> Great to have both of you here with me today. Uh, actually, I just wanted to add, and this is a good segue into our first question in a minute, uh, Ocean and I both studied uh, anthropology. My um, the type of anthropology I studied was um, biological, so really trying to understand what makes us human, how did we evolve, how do we become uh, who we are today, whereas Ocean, you studied a little bit more on um, cultural and social anthropology, is that correct? Yeah. Cool. So this is a good segue into the first question that we have, um, which is, what is anthropology? Like, how do we each define it? So um, maybe Ocean, you can answer that first. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is, a really, really hard question to answer. Um, I, I mean, for me, it's like at par with what is life. But like, I, I think, uh, I mean, anthropology, like you said, even within uh, the space of social anthropology is very much about understanding like what makes us human and what is human behavior and like behavior patterns and um, the cultural meanings of like norms and moral values and those kind of things. Um, so I feel like, yeah, but of course, within social anthropology, uh, it, it's it's very much like a social science where you are trying to understand society from from the point of view of from, so, so let's say, an anthropological lens. And I know that doesn't help um, when answering this question, but from 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 the perspective of trying to see what what societies are made of, what what cultures are made of. Um, I do want to add, though, uh, that especially for social anthropology, uh, and I think this is true for anthropology at large, is that um, it, it, it was very much a colonial discipline in that it came up as a discipline from um, the perspective of the colonizers who were trying to understand the other, as they called the colonized. And uh, that's how the discipline was put into place. Of course, that has changed many fold uh, in the context that we live in now. But I think that's also important to understand in that traditionally the way anthropo anthropology is um, defined is the study of the other, which no longer is true now. But um, that's something to keep in mind when you're engaging with this particular discipline is that how what its roots were and how it's changed over time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm really curious to hear your perspective on what you think anthropology is considering it really feels like the two disciplines, biological and social anthropology, in some way are worlds apart. So I'd, I'd really want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, as echoing back from what I said earlier, I think anthropology really largely is focused on understanding uh, what makes us human um, collectively and also um, at the same time, what are all the cultural differences that have um, shaped um, humans around the world? And it's kind of, I think from the biological standpoint, it is understanding the origins um, and 
from biological anthropology, we we studied um, not just uh, about how humans evolved, but actually how culture has um, changed over time. And if we compare cultural evolution to um, biological human evolution, um, cultural evolution is quite it's quite messy. It kind of goes back and forth. Um, like a good example of cultural evolution that goes back and forth is like fashion trends. There are, you can often see that there are. Um, trends that you see today that were maybe from the 60s or 70s that have suddenly come back into fashion. Whereas biological um, evolution is uh, more gradual and it tends not to go back and forth once a genetic change has been made to um, different uh, to the human species. So, um, and I think why I chose anthropology in the first place is that it's one of the only subjects I would say that kind of gives you a really clear-cut understanding on um, everything that we see today in life. Um, and also, it. Um, I originally wanted to study psychology, which was really focused on understanding um, individuals and um, what shapes how we think. But um, anthropology, I realized, is kind of even more powerful because it tells you about um, groups of people, like uh, human species overall. It kind of helps us understand what are the external factors that will influence um, our actions, our decisions, and uh, our experiences. So, um, yeah, I think if I had to answer what is anthropology to me, it's uh, largely focused on what makes us human and what how, how has that um, evolved over time and how has that shaped the world around us. So, yeah, that's I would kind of see it. <laughs> I also initially wanted to study psychology, so I feel like we've <laughs> had a similar trajectory. <laughs> we have the same mindset, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, yeah, to get, there is a discipline called cognitive anthropology, which I did look into, which kind of combines psychology and anthropology. And I think if you know both of them, I, I kind of feel like you are super powerful. You're like super knowledgeable <laughs> about everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for that, guys. I mean, uh, yeah. that sounds. I mean, I, I, I actually think that the, 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 the question is, 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 the answer to the question is always going to be evolving, and depending on who you're asking, uh, in terms of what is anthropology. I mean, we've seen that you know you guys have come from a, uh, I wouldn't you know what we say maybe comparatively, I guess a traditional, uh, routes of you know um, cultural and um, biological anthropology, and then. And even Ocean, from your education background, you know, you, you started out as a anthropologist, cultural anthropologist, and then now you're in the design school. I'm sort of in the reverse, right? I started out in the design school, and then I went into a design school that taught anthropology, which is, uh, you know, um, a, a very different perspective that, that, that I take. So, so from my perspective, is that as a designer, I've always been um looking at anthropology as um you know something that's i never understood but you know as i've started to understand the the, the field a little bit more i do start to see uh, you know really there's so many different perspectives in the world you know as from a social perspective right and then you know whether we look at it from a psychological perspective as well or even from a social um you know sociological perspective you know there's so many overlaps and um you know, I think it really happens to become a very uh, multidisciplinary or even a very interdisciplinary kind of a talking point, when, especially when we're talking about people. Because, um, you know, and, and I think anthropology really draws a lot of that because once you apply some form of social science into it, some form of uh, social anthropo anthropology perspective into it, we are acknowledging that 
it's not a pure science that we can answer just by some, um, you know, some calculations, which is which is not to say that, you know, your your other sciences are are not valuable. They are. They definitely are valuable. But it's just that when we add in the social aspects, um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of complexity that's added to that discussion. And I think anthropology helps us to demystify, especially when we're talking about people, we're designing for people. Um, and yeah, it does help us to, you know, go through that, that, that process of, you know, trying to understand these groups of people as much as we can. So, so yeah, I, I do see that anthropology is something that, that's quite useful. And I think for me, um, anthropology really, you know, I, I think um, I'm echoing what you guys have been saying that, you know, echo, uh, anthropology is that reflection of people and we are really trying to understand people as much as we can or understand humans, how we work, how we function, why we do things. Um, and even actually, not to bring this into a political conversation, right? But even I ask, you know, friends who, uh, or students, this question, like, you know, can you know, are we, can we say that people who have voted, um, you know, for a particular group is wrong? No, we can't because they voted for that particular person or this particular person because they 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 felt that there is. Um, you know, there, there's either a passion or the person is speaking to them on the same level. So, you know, and, and it's about us understanding to say, oh, what is the reason that, that has brought about, you know, these groups of people to have voted for a particular politician and so on and so forth. And I think from an anthropological perspective, having that question or constantly questioning this thing is something that's very, uh, I think, very useful for us. You know, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a world that, um, you know, has so many layers. And I think, yeah, you know, I think anthropology has that, um, uh, is able to bring in that those nuances uh, to uh, many conversations that we have. So, so yeah, that's my take on anthropology. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that's, that's um, not too bad and not too long. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I think both of you had really, really interesting perspectives. I, I thought it was great that you brought, Nicholas, that you brought in the... Um, part about how anthropology is actually applicable, very applicable outside of the um, academic um, setting where you can use it to inform customer experience innovation. It helps you to drive deeper conversations, even if you just talk to other people. Um, it can even help you to um, better understand how to help a company go through change management in terms of understanding um, employee um, culture and behavior. So I, I think it, it's really good that you mentioned that, actually. It would be good to understand a little bit more about um, how you both kind of apply maybe methods or the knowledge of anthropology in your own day-to-day -day work. Like, like for me, for example, um, I, since working at the um, advertising agency, um, we're constantly, as a strategist, I'm constantly out to look for um, better and deeper insights that can help to inform our campaign strategy so that um, we can convey the our clients' brands, their products and services in a more meaningful and relevant way for um, their target customers. And it's only through really having a deep understanding of um, people's cultures and what drives their behaviors that we can get these um, 
deep insights. So that that's been particularly helpful in helping me in my work, and also um, in terms of like customer experience innovation. Like through these deeper insights, we're able to um, better recommend our clients on what um, how to improve their um, overall customer experience and what kind of new maybe apps or even websites that they could um, consider um, creating to better serve their customers. So that, that that's how I've been using it. But it'd be really great to hear. Um, how um, both of you uh, have applied uh, anthropology or at least the thinking and maybe some of the methods in your own day-to-day work? So um, I think, you know, I think in terms of methods, um, I I think the, the the question that I always ask is, what is the perspective that the client or the end, uh, you know, that, that the client has? Because, you know, I've dealt with um, uh, clients and stakeholders that, don't necessarily care for the methods too much. They're they're more they're more interested in the, um you know the the insights that you talk about. What have you found out? Um and and so you know those to those people then I will will just conduct the research. You know whether it's uh, through um uh, our methods and we'll tell them yeah we did this we did we we conducted this these different methods and here are the insights we've had. Um, to others that are very a little bit more particular on the methods, you know, um, those are great because then those those clients or, or partners that we work with uh, were able to get a deeper understanding on on what their knowledge or what they know. Um, yeah, there's there's a, a, a lot of co-designing that, that that comes out of this this process as well. So so for us, you know, um, it's it's you know I think the methods that we we were traditionally I guess used to with the interviews, the observations, um, mm. the surveys, the phone calls, the phone interviews, um, you know, the desktop research that we do. Um, but nowadays, we're starting to see, you know, I think, you know, um, uh, you know, from a social media perspective as well, you know, how people are using these applications, how particular brands or how particular users are using these applications, um, Facebook groups. Um, mm. Instagram pages. Um, there are tons of these resources that that are out there. That you know, just going in deep. You know, you can understand what who the different players are, who the different, um, you know, who the different players within those, those markets are. You can understand what the customers are buying. Uh, what are the values that are important for them? I'll give you one example, which is I've recently had this sort of side hobby, which is. Um, you know, uh, cycling uh, as well as torch lights. You know, for some reason, don't ask me why I, I buying I'm buying torch lights, but um, we we have <laughs> we have lights here in Singapore and electricity is fine here in Singapore. So, um, but yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I w- I won't go into that rabbit hole. But the the thing that I want to sort of talk about is that you know these flashlight groups. You know, you when you start going into them, you would think a flashlight is a flashlight, but no, people buy flashlights to either um, you know to flood a room, to say that, you know, I need to flood the room with as much light as possible, or they're looking for what they call throwers, which is I want to shine a beam into the furthest location that I, I can I can shine it to. And, mm-hmm. and that really gives me a lot of insights when I'm new to flashlights, or even if I'm trying to research into flashlights and say that, okay, maybe as a brand, I want to move into the flashlight market. What kind of flashlights do I need to make? Uh, what mm-hmm. are the flashlights that users usually need? You know, is it about lumens? Is it about... Um, the color is it about the battery life that's being used? So there's so many things that we learn, and and this is just me going onto a Facebook group and scrolling through the different pages. So I think methods-wise, 
um, we need to be creative and I think we we need to also move with the times and we need to be able to say, hey, yeah, these are the things that are out there. These are things that we can research into. These are the things that well, we can understand what the users and the end users uh, are buying and the stakeholders are engaging with. Um, and these are the brands that people uh, perceive about or these are the the, the things that people have perceptions on. So, so, so yeah, for me, it's, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a changing world that we're living in, and I think anthropologically and you know due, through the ethnographic methods as well, we're also engaging with these research tools very differently. Mm. How about you, Ocean? Um, yeah, I mean, I I think I agree with you quite a bit. First of all, like thank you so much for that insight into flashlights. I was so fascinated. Though, yeah, well, we're both gonna go look that up later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but no, I think um, I think what you're saying is very true, and I really feel like so when I when I started working as a design researcher, it was straight out of um, school, and I had studied well social anthropology and sociology. And um, I remember my uh, someone in my office told me that, you know, design research borrows so much from anthropology that you're going to be a great fit here. And I do feel like um, that it's, it's a fairly weighted statement uh, to say that design research borrows from anthropology. But um, I, I'm, I think that what anthropology brings to the table uh, is a perspective. So I feel like what, what Nicholas, you were talking about in terms of how you how you start to understand that um, what what you have in front of you could indeed turn into, like you said, Tiffany, very interesting insights towards, say, designing for something or designing, um, yeah, whether it's for designing a service or whether it's designing a product or it's uh, designing um, a, a business strategy. Uh, what and uh, what have you? So I think in, in that way, um, uh, anthropology uh, for me really really brings that perspective to the fore. But I do have to say that from the point of view of methodology, I think that, that there is a lot that anthropology has also been doing that is hard to bring in um, to a more uh, uh, to a space that kind of lies outside of academia, primarily because of like, um, I guess what Nicholas kind of briefly touched upon, like these client expectations and timelines. And um, I think in, in that way, it's it's also interesting to think through what what gets left behind when you move out of the academic space, which obviously gives you a flexibility that the professional or the market-driven space, I don't know how you want to call it, kind of lacks in and um, how could how could we sort of even start thinking about changing that or altering that or working around that? Um, yeah, which, which probably actually brings us to um, the question around uh, the struggles we face in conducting anthropological research outside of academia, uh, specifically, let's say, within the Asian context. That's a good segue into so many questions we're going to cover today. And yeah, definitely, it's, uh, it, it is a struggle, especially since uh, I think the, the, the topic of anthropology is not a widely studied discipline in, um, uh, in Asia as much as it may be in, say, the UK or US. So, of course, there are universities um, that offer anthropology, um, but it, uh, the uptake is not um, that high. And um, often, um, like when I have conversations with 
my clients or even people that I network with, uh, when I talk about, oh, I have a background in anthropology, they they sometimes find it hard to um, understand the link between anthropology and what it is that I do um, in my work. But and I, I usually just say to them, well, you know, if um, advertising, you advertise to humans. Uh, and I, as an anthropologist, I study and observe human behavior then I'm sure there must be a link somewhere there. But in terms of um, selling in uh, maybe the methods or maybe the way of thinking as an anthropologist, sometimes that can be tricky, um, especially in terms of conducting anthropological research. It's tricky in the sense that there is little budget and time that um, clients here would be willing to um, offer you. Um, so if you're expecting to be able to conduct an ethno a long ethnography for uh, uh, several months or even several years outside of academic research, um, then uh, you're very unlikely to find that unless your client has a very big budget and kind of really understands this approach. But when they do understand this, then there is a lot of potential. Uh, one of the clients I was recently working with, I, I did actually manage to conduct an, um, an ongoing ethnography. It's still happening right now. And through that, we were, I was really able to dig deep into understand that organization and dig out the key um, areas of improvement towards the um, current um, experience. And it, through that, we were able to slowly implement a lot of um, new changes. So, um, and it was only through um, being uh, conducting ethnography that we were able to find out all of those insights. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of key struggles for me, it's um, getting a client that kind of understands what is anthropology, what is um, ethnography, um, one that can understand how it can be um, relevant to their work and one that's um, willing to invest both the um, time and budget in this. Um, and there, there is definitely a lot of value in um, using it in a corporate sense since that um, most organ pretty much all the organizations around the world are creating new services, new products for people to use. Um, so there is a lot of benefits, but it's, you know, being able to get them to understand first is always the big challenge. What about you, uh, Nicholas? Um, what, what's your perspective on this? Um, for, for, for all of us, we, we've engaged with different stakeholders and different people and, and these with, with different people both internally I'm sure within our own organizations and people who are outside of our organizations and their perspectives on the value of anthropology uh, and the research methods um, it's hard it's hard to sort of convince somebody who has maybe a perception that uh, it's 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 negative so which or, or it's useless I mean the, that, that happens you know um but it's. I think it's 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 part of our role to uh, still work it in somehow. Um, but maybe if if you were to do, do maybe the budgeting, it would maybe be um, you know uh, placed in some other segments. Or if you are working on time, then you you're saying okay, let's just do something quick. Um, you know, it may not be a full blown anthropological study per se, mm -hmm. but at least it's still something that we're doing to make sure that we get a better perspective on the problem statements or um, the issue or the context in itself. So I think um, the responsibility is up to us to say that, okay, we want to do as much as we can, but if we can't, then we'll work within whatever boundaries that we've, we've, been, we've been set. And yeah, so I think that that's something that um, it, we just have to be very flexible. And I think I remember from our conversations 
um, you know, from from the podcast that uh, we did previously as well. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. uh, Ocean and, and Tiffany also have um, these these different um, issues or or, or I con- levels of convincing that always has to be done. So so yeah, it's it's I think it's everywhere, um, and I think you know, just taking it back to I think a more localized, maybe Asian context. Mm. Um, I think I do. I do feel that you know, coming from Australia, you know, I, I did study there for a while, and maybe um, you know, Ocean, if you 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 can chime in on this later on, um, you know, when, since you're in Netherlands now, um, or even Tiffany, you know, when you were in the UK studying, um, I haven't done any uh, full-on research on this just yet, but you know, just based on the conversations that I've had with stakeholders, mm-hmm. oops, yeah, or different companies. Um, there is, there seems to be a little bit more openness from, um, you know, from, from, from people when you, when you talk about these research methods that are there. I, I actually, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, when, um, when I went, to, I had an opportunity to go to the UK for a little bit of work. And when I was talking about my background in anthropology and also some of the, the skills that I have, there was an immediate understanding. Um, whereas I, I think um, it, it's not that... Um, there is no opportunity in Asia. Actually, there are a lot of opportunities given that Asia is a large um, hub for um, for innovation as well. Um, but uh, I think it's just that um, getting clients to have that understanding, it takes a lot of time. And maybe um, you have to be very open to um, being flexible of how you approach um, ethnography and even the way you think as an anthropologist. It can't be completely like... Um, clear cut as uh, it can't just be exactly what it is like you see in the UK and US. And that's also due to um, culture, of course, like there's no way that um, it can be immediately applicable. But um, yeah, if you're willing to invest the time and patience into talking to clients, then um, it's definitely worth doing that. Yeah. And it might not always just be the client. It might sometimes even be the potential participants that you'd be observing. Um, I, I think in certain cultures um, in Asia, um, people tend to be a little bit more closed and they're a little bit more private. Um, maybe they're not as open to letting you um, go and observe them. It, like, like with every other culture, you just need to take some time to understand um, what it is that um, makes them feel comfortable and be able to have... Um, eventually get them to open up and having conversations with you. So I think that can be another struggle that I, I see uh, as an anthropologist in um, Asia. What, what about you, Ocean? Are there any other kind of struggles that you faced in your work? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's I was just listening to you guys, and I, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about your experiences um, in Australia or in the UK about people being more open uh i don't know if i could i I don't know if i can sort of mirror that experience but firstly because i just got to the netherlands so i don't i don't know how how i can speak to that already but i i will say that especially within the design space i i find it very refreshing the fact that at least within the academy that i am in there is a lot of deference towards like anthropological theory anthropological methodology in uh, trying to also look at design as a discipline. But um, at the same time, I would say that um, while I was working in, uh, in, in New Delhi, I felt like um, the, the culture of design research or, or let's say uh, anthropological research outside of academia was very much 
uh, drawn from um, Western um, ways of doing this kind of work, which which I think itself became a limitation. And I think I'm going to go back to what I had said about where the discipline of anthropology comes from. And and mm. I I also apply that to something like design, which still is, I wouldn't say was, uh, is a Western discipline. And of course, it has been adapted within Asia. But I mm. think within Asia, we also tend to differ very much to how practices um, unravel in the West and how they evolve. So we kind of keep waiting. We kind of are always playing catch up, which, which, and, and I don't know. I mean, of course, I cannot uh, generalize this to all of Asia. I'm speaking very mm. much from my experience in India. Um, but I think what I found very, very um, difficult uh, in doing this kind of work in the Asian context, let's say, but to be more specific, Indian context, was mm. that uh the the western bias is very much there so um what you were saying tiffany about the different cultures i think i think that's what's really beautiful about anthropology is that it already comes with the idea that yes cultures will be different so you um you anyway have to grapple with with that difference and that's the whole point <laughs> but at the same time we have to and i felt like there was a strong need to be cautious about um let's say the Western gaze, and I don't necessarily, of course, there is the whole aspect of uh, very much the, you know, in a very colonial sense, the white man coming to study the person of color, but um, but but specifically within uh, the context of the kind of work we do, even I felt like I became the Western gaze when going into mm-hmm. spaces and trying to like, especially in these, you know, quick turnaround studies when you don't have time to like, think through like the secondary research that's probably already been done for decades around the space or think through how you can like break down those barriers of discomfort or like it, at least in some way try to acknowledge the power that you might have while trying to research um, something and especially in like very sensitive topics of course it does it happens in all kinds of research but um, I'm also speaking from my experience in really, uh, you know, working within like the sexual and reproductive health space and working within the women's rights space. And I feel like in that kind of um, sp- dealing with those kind of topics, you have to be all the more cautious about the biases and the gazes that you uh, bring in when applying anthropological methodology in projects where you may not have enough time to like reflect back. Um, so I think those are some of the struggles that I particularly find myself uh, found myself grappling with. And now, like Nicholas pointed out, now that I myself am in the Netherlands, continue to think through in a different light altogether. So both of these thoughts, I think, are really fascinating. It actually made me just think of one question that I, I've always been asking myself. Do you think there is a, a need for um, maybe the frameworks of anthropology to be, um, maybe is there a need for one that um, is developed specifically um, for Asia or, or at least the cultures of Asia? Because as you mentioned, like the the, the Western the, the Western gaze and then feeling like as though you were kind of the outsider, even though you're actually an insider within that culture. Do you think there's a need to have a, um, a specific framework or um, method or, or way of thinking um, that can be um, used across um, Asia by different anthropologists? What, what do you guys think about that? Um, I think that's a really interesting question, uh, and specifically because 
I feel like like if you just replace the word anthropology with like any other discipline, I feel like you could ask the same question. Uh, and this mm. is not just for the Asian perspective, right? I'm sure from the African perspective, there are uh, researchers and workers in that continent who are probably asking similar questions because, or any like post-colonial context. And of course, like, I don't want to go into like that side of the conversation, but it's very much... Um, present right and everything we think about and everything we talk about that is the context that so many let's for the lack of a better word developing countries or third world countries even though that's a very problematic terminology um are dealing with grappling with in every discipline i think but mm-hmm. in anthropology i think it's interesting because i feel like um i can't speak directly to this because i feel like i'm not an expert but from thinking back to my own studies i think it it there is there is a natural evolution of the way uh, the discipline is being thought of, uh, at least within academia. And I feel like that question, the question you asked is extremely interesting when we start thinking about how to deal with um, anthropological work outside of academia, because then there are the power structures of the other frameworks that you're working within, be it like a design studio, be it, uh, I don't know, a, a in university because universities are also very western constructs even though they have adapted and evolved and even to think through this idea of like anthropology being the study of the other and now um when the uh, when anthropologists of color when anthropologists from developing worlds study their own cultures um uh, then it's no longer the study of the other so then that's already an evolution but uh, I don't think there's a simple yes and no answer to this, but in in a larger scheme of things, I think there is any way a need to start thinking about how uh, contexts like Asia, and and especially like you mentioned, it is an extremely powerful context, uh, can in fact move away from, like I said, constantly deferring to how things are happening in the West. And um, yeah, so I think uh, there is something extremely valuable in what you were saying and the question that you're asking. I'm curious, Nicholas, what you what you think, because you're con- currently located within academia in a way, not exactly, but, you know, uh, so I'm, I'm curious about your perspective. So within design thinking, uh, what we teach in design innovation currently, we definitely have a, a large focus uh, on teaching people about building empathy, which um it's something that that we 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 as you know people who are who are, who are engaged with anthropology and ethnography uh, are, are very used to you know um uh, it's something that is is part of uh, it's a very natural thought process that we have but um for people who are not i guess trained in this area um you know in the social science perspectives um i think building empathy can be quite challenging for some um, so, so that's the thing that I'm constantly trying to push um, within the teaching materials that I have, within the different classes that I'm conducting, um, and I guess as a framework, that's where I'm, 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 or or a mindset, even if you want to put it that way, um, you know, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm trying to at least engage uh, with with students uh, in that manner, so that. You know, once you have a mindset of empathy, then it's easier to start defining what methods and tools need to be used for that particular group of people. You know, um, you know, uh, and if that isn't that 
underlying basis, then it's a bit tough for, for us to be able to really create positive experiences for, for people using anthropology or ethnographic research. Fascinating. No, I think that um, it is definitely important for um, those that are outside of um, Asia, maybe even coming to um, conduct ethnography or, or actually coming to work in Asia. And if, in case they are um, looking to apply um, ethnographic research methods in their work to be kind of mindful of these kind of cultural nuances um, that um, would kind of affect their work. Uh, I think we we kind of mentioned that, uh, yeah, these are uh, nuances um, just as we were speaking, but I'd like to maybe just dig in a little bit more detail on what are the uh, the ways in which um, we believe that individuals or organizations can be mindful of the nuances of conducting ethnographic research in the Asian context, especially outside of academia. Like I, I think uh, if, I, if I have to um, based on my experience working in um, China and also Thailand, um, I would say that um, being able to um, adapt the ethnographic research method to the, um, the different lifestyles of um, people across different cultures is incredibly um, important. Um, I, I, I guess um, it, maybe some cultures would be um, slightly more, as I mentioned earlier, slightly more open to you kind of being constantly there um, with them to um, observe their day-to-day -day behavior um, in situ. But maybe in, for some, um, they would be more comfortable if they submitted like uh, online um, diary entries and so I, I know that this is something that a friend of mine who owns a research agency in Thailand that focuses on ethnographic research usually does to um, uh, to in order to get insights on um, Thai customers. So that that's my perspective. Uh, what do you guys think in response to that question? I think it's, uh, I mean, I find it, I think I find it a little bit hard to really um, go to the granularity of mm. methodology, but I do think that this is something that I, I, I think Nicholas and I have also spoken about this earlier, but uh, I think it's, what's really important is that for me uh, is to be extremely uh, aware of the power that a researcher has when they are going into a research context. And you're completely right in that um, cultures are different. So you, of course, have to adapt your method, uh, your research methodology around that. You have to find ways to maybe um, build rapport uh, if there is enough time or use completely different methodologies if needed. But I think also, um, I think deferring to uh, uh, cultural guides as we want to I don't I don't for the lack of a better word or to or uh, allowing uh, maybe translators who may uh, be a part of your research project to take more of a role because uh, maybe you can maybe you have to admit that there is only so much that you can do in the limited time that you're given if it's not like a long-term ethnographic study and yes. I think uh, that kind of reflexivity for me is the number one uh, sort of thing that you have to be aware of when when studying, um, when doing research in, of course, any context, but we can only speak from the context that we're from. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess for the Singaporean perspective, 
um, that's very definitely a bit more different from um, what we read in the books um, or what we read in um, uh, in the journal articles that are written within a, a very Western context, right? Uh, mm. um, I think it's it's the 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 types of participants that we get um, are are a little bit different. I mean. Um, the, the for example a lot of the psychology papers that you will, you will find uh, in in american universities um, a lot of them do have uh, a larger sample size that may have changed over the years but um, you know it used to be um, a lot of them would have uh, a lot of their students would take these um, uh, research uh, uh, be participants of the research um, you know, and you have um, them coming in to, to participate in that. Uh, but for locally, I think uh, I think in in, in a Singaporean uh, context, we uh, we have people that are maybe not not used to um, that kind of research methodologies being uh, engaging with, and and now I think we're seeing a lot of. Uh, research being done through surveys due to the uh, the ease of it, you know, um, you know, the not having to go out and call people and plan for all these things. Um, so, so we are a little bit more used to using some of these digital technologies and um, mm -hmm. some of these different uh, tools. We have had um, some uh, research tools that are uh, recording of videos uh, you know, for for participants, so uh, in the in the comforts of their own home. Um. So, but I think yeah. Well, maybe yes. I I think just I'm just speaking for for Singapore as a context, right? Um. Mm -hmm. I think that the socially, we are not so open to speaking to other people about that that many topics right uh, maybe professionally even because there's sometimes that, that that there is that fear of oh where what's my what's what's the information going to be used for um you know um and and i think maybe the singaporean culture is not as expressive in that sense like Mm. we have we have a very big complaining culture like like it's a, a, a culture of like you know oh this is not good that's not good you know i don't like that i don't like this but we don't necessarily have a culture that is um expressive you know so it's about express it, there's a difference between complaining about something and giving uh an expressive perspective on uh, or a reflective perspective on something all right, so I think um, we don't do that as much in in Singapore. Um, whereas, you know, I, 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 you know, just looking at, you know, uh, even Twitter or some of the other social media platforms of Instagram, um, you know, I, I see other countries and other people who are fairly expressive, and they are able to present their ideas and their conversations in a, a much clearer perspective in that sense. So, um, I mean. It, it could be a case that because, you know, in Singapore, we have um, so many different languages. Um, mm. We also have many different ways of speaking and expressing ourselves. So the, the linguistics of things may get lost uh, if we do try to speak to other people in, in, in other countries. So, um, so yeah, I, I guess nuances, um, especially when you come to Asia, I think number one is going to be language because, you mm. know... Um, you know, we, we can't, I think, use English as the um, um, the basis of all, all forms of communication. You know, uh, I'm sure in Thai or in Cantonese um, or in, uh, in Hindu or, uh, you know, in Hindi, um, you know, on Tamil, there, there's so many different 
words that that express and and speak different things that sometimes the language the English language doesn't uh, isn't able to describe that you know I think there are some words even in Mandarin that you know there's no English equivalent for that so I think if there's one thing I guess to to generalize for Asia maybe it would be language for Singapore I would say specifically it would be about um, I think expressiveness uh, and expressing oneself in a concise manner in that sense right. Yeah, I, I thought that what you said about um, people not being as expressive in Singapore, I think that, I, that, that echoes back quite well with where I'm based right now. Um, also, yeah, I just wanted to mention, yeah, Nicholas, actually, you have a your own talk show. Is that right? The, what was it called again? So, yeah, it's the Everything Design Show. So you can also find it on all of the, the, the different platforms. Yeah, and it's um, both Ocean and I have had, have had the um, privilege of actually being on the show. So um, um, we, we, we could talk on and on about this. But uh, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I'll, um, in case any of you are interested in listening to more of our perspective on um, anthropology, um, its relationship to design, and, and just uh, our successes and struggles in um, conducting ethnography and um, applying the anthropological mindset in Asia, definitely do check that out as well. So if that's the case, I, I will end with the final two questions, which is, um, and these are quite big questions, um, which is, um, what do we think is next for anthropology in Asia? And where do we see the potential for growth? And what are our tips for those that are interested in coming to Asia and um, um, exploring this discipline? Um, Maybe uh, I'll just inject my initial perspective. I think um, there is definitely an opportunity for anthropologists that are based in Asia to play a more global role and um, voice in how anthropology as a discipline overall um, continues to evolve over time. I think there are a lot of really interesting, um, those that have, been able to apply anthropology in, say, design research or um, other uh, applied anthropology. So outside of academia, there is so much that they're able to do. I was recently speaking to a group of anthropologists based in um, China where they were studying um, they were, they were studying the interactions between people and robots and trying to come up ways to better design um, certain robots. Um, so I think there are a lot of, definitely a lot of opportunities here. And at the same time, through the successes that anthropologists in Asia have, that can help to better pave way for um, the overall discipline of anthropology around the world, how we can continue to make it more um, relevant and um, even just interesting for people around different parts of the world to explore and study. Um, and for me, I think um, the potential growth in Asia for anthropology is definitely within the innovation um, the design um, space, um, of course, on top of um, marketing overall. And definitely, as we mentioned earlier, um, for those that are interested in expanding to Asia, I would definitely recommend that they maybe just spend some time to come here and really immerse in the um, different cultures first and be prepared to um, kind of um, take a step back and kind of see the full picture before um, diving into in, uh, deeper. Um, be flexible to um, who you talk to and be willing to adapt 
the ethnographic approach and anthropological mindset to how um, people think here and how, how they would be comfortable in um, kind of in, in um, interpreting this, of course, and in, in, on top of actually learning the languages of the different cultures here, because Asia is so diverse and there's so much that you can explore. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely would say there's a lot of opportunities um, for anthropology in Asia. Uh, what about uh, Ocean? What do you think? I think I'd want to echo what you said, because I very much believe that um, what is next and what should be next is the voices of Asian anthropologists working within their own space um, being amplified globally, uh, Asian anthropologists having more of a um, voice, like you said, in the ev overall evolution of the discipline. And I also think that uh, going back to the question that you had asked earlier, possibly um, thinking through uh, anthropological frameworks uh, that are co context specific and when you think about, well, the Asian context, I feel like that itself is really um, not a thing <laughs> because Asia Asia has so, so, so many. I mean, I can speak for India and I can feel like I can say India has so many contexts. I myself would probably feel out of place in most of them, not because, well, I don't belong. I mean, yeah, but, but, but because it's, it's a lot to learn. It's a lot to uh, take in. So I think um, in terms of, Anyone who wants to conduct uh, anthropological research in India, okay, and outside of academia, because I know academia has its own checks and balances and all of that in place, especially when people do PhD studies and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, within the space of design, because that's the space I can speak to, I would say really, really, really defer to your cultural translators, your cultural guides, uh, don't feel like you have to be the face of the study. Um, people who are in the field um, helping you out need to have more of a say in how the study is constructed, primarily because what you said, Tiffany, there are cultural uh, nuances that I, I really feel like even after years of staying in a space, you might not pick up on. So maybe just um, allow that space for uh, people and uh, for people to kind of like really have a voice in the study itself. Because I mean, this is something that, again, Nicholas and I spoke about, but I feel like it, it's uh, something that happens when people want to study in contexts that are not their own is that there are a lot of jobs that are created for translators, for people who are like kind of even community guides who kind of like introduce you to different stakeholders or like different um, users for the lack of a better word. But I think that those people now need to be elevated to a place where they can really inform how the study is done because yes, there's an expertise that comes with the discipline, but there's an expertise that comes with just living uh, in uh, a context that uh, that is hard to gauge from the outside even for me like if I went to a context that I'm not familiar with in India I don't think I should be the one leading the study because not leading but you know I should be the one calling the shots on the field and stuff like that so I think that's really important for me when I think of what's next in anthropological studies in India in mm -hmm. Asia <laughs> yeah be aware of the subcultures within the cultures because there yeah. are so many yeah yeah um, what, we have sub subcultures as well. Subcultures. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, for me, to be honest, I think um, 
I think one thing we need to acknowledge also is that um, there are many um, roles and positions and practices that are using ethnographic and anthropological tools, right? They may not call, the, the roles may not be anthropology, anthropologist or uh, design ethnographer or uh, ethnographic, ethnographic um, researcher, right? I mean, but but the tools are, are there and they're being used by many organizations, many businesses out there, um, you know, within policy, within service design, within tech. Uh, and, and that really is, um, uh, uh, that, that definitely is a growth in, 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 in the Asian market, right? Uh, um, whether you also want to include Australia as well. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, looking at a lot of the, 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 the 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 job scopes and job roles in, in in Singapore, you know the the tools that are being used, you know, user research, um, um, ethnographic research, interviews, um, stakeholder, um, uh, understanding stakeholders, um, understanding customers. I, I think there are a lot of jobs out there, and and the market for that is is definitely growing. I think um, having us do on this particular podcast to represent three different countries, uh, or even five or six different countries, if you want to count the ones that we've all been been, been living and studying in, um, you know, I think that is a a, a good way for us to continue this conversation, uh, to maintain at least some form of. Uh, integrity in the work that we do to say that hey if we use in ethnographic methods if we use anthropology in our work it has to at least do these uh, fulfill these particular um uh, uh, uh rules in that sense right um so i think that 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 is something that we definitely will be you know working towards as well as as we continue the conversation of anthropology in asia um and and yeah it definitely is a growing market um you know it's just a question of you know which schools uh, or which 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 companies there are and what what's the job scopes down there so i think definitely a growing market definitely something uh there, there is um you know it's not a, qu- a question of whether there's potential for growth we are seeing the growth uh and you know coming in i think uh, you know whether whether a person is coming from a different country or a different bra- background i think you know once we do uh enable the the the, the perspectives of uh empathy of you know uh ensuring that you know uh, removing biases you know th- these things that that we do on a day-to-day basis with with anthropology and ethnography um, have to be maintained so that, you know, we we don't spoil the name of anthropology and ethnography uh, as we're moving forward. So, yeah. Awesome. Definitely. Um, And like quite, you're quite right in saying this is just the start of our conversation and there are a lot of opportunities. And I would say that definitely conducting anthropological and ethnographic and research uh, research in Asia does stand out, especially since there are so many diverse cultures within Asia. Like, honestly, it will be hard to explore all of them in one lifetime, I think. So um, I think uh, all of us can very happily continue talking for another another year or not even just like another hour <laughs> um but i uh we're, we're probably gonna have to end it um here today um so uh we'd love to thank the human show for the opportunity to speak uh, uh, on the podcast today um and uh 
we would definitely um, love to continue um, discussing this more in, in the future and in the meantime. Um, so if anyone has any um, feedback, comments or questions, um, definitely feel free to reach out to all of us. We'd be more than happy to continue discussing and answering any questions. So yeah, um, thanks so much to the speakers that were um, with me today. Um, Thank thanks for you. your time. Yeah, and thanks to the Human Show again. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.